you're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 31, and I'm your host, Brandon, and another special guest today. Today is Allison Wells, a fermentation scientist. That's what you'd call yourself, correct? Yes, that's what I would call myself. Awesome. Hi, Allison. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you today? I'm excellent. Awesome. So, so you're fermentation scientist. We'll get into a little bit of history uh, or your your background or whatnot. But when you say fermentation scientist, what does that? Well, I guess first, what does that mean to most people, and then uh, what does it mean to you? For a lot of people, it can just be confusing. Um, it's not necessarily a term or a degree that most people know of. Um, it's not the same thing as saying I'm a pre-med student, um, or I was a biologist. Um, it mostly just means that when I was in school, I studied and learned a lot about food and how to make fermented foods. And to me, that's what I do is I know a lot about fermented foods and how to make them. And has your, your, your focus, if I understand correctly, has been more towards, towards fermented beverages, correct? Yes. Wines and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got interested in, uh, fermented beverages more, more so on the wine side of fermented beverages, beverages than anything else. Um, when I was an undergrad, um, I took a really great class called wine appreciation and it was an elective and, I thought it was great and sparked an interest in it. And um, that kind of led me down the path of fermented beverages and ended up learning a lot about wine microbiology. And and stepping back, just going back to that undergraduate thing is, is so as far as I know, too, looking at uh, some of the information you sent me that you, you started with food science, but that wasn't exactly what you had planned to do originally, correct? You were going more for medical school. Is that yeah, I originally applied to um, Purdue, where I ended up going to school for um, to go to med school. I actually applied to the nursing school, um, got accepted, and kind of last minute stitched before I went to my first class, I decided I didn't really want to do that. Um, I had heard of this really cool major called food science. Um, that was through some cousins of mine that had finished food science um, and ended up really enjoying it and loved it. And then, so it's been food science ever since. And so you said you did wine. Um, what, what path did you take to learn everything you do about, you know, about wine? I mean, you did an internship, correct? I did. Um, I first ended up taking this wine appreciation class. It was offered for stu- anyone in, at, at school. Um, and it was just a really general introduction to wine. And I mean, the name speaks for itself, uh, how to appreciate it. And just to learn more about it, I was inst- instantly intrigued the first class and just sat there in amazement and thought, man, this is really cool. I just never really thought much of it. Um, and through that path, I started reading about it on my own free time and found out about this exchange program um, that was between Purdue and another university in France, um, applied for it and ended up getting this um, exchange program where I spent um, the better part of a summer working on a vineyard in France, um, which sparked more interest and came back and had an internship at um, Gallo Winery for um, another summer. 
and then ended up going to Oregon State and getting a master's in fermentation science with a specialty in wine microbiology. Now, it seems that with with uh, degrees, the fermentation-related degrees seem to be more focused on on alcoholic beverages or fermented beverages. Would you say that that's, that's fair? I mean, or, or, or did you go to, to school with other people that were, were studying on the food side of production for fermentation specific? Um, when I started grad school um, in 2007, I um, was mostly surrounded by people who were interested in fermented beverages. Um, Oregon State, where I went to grad school, it was divided into the beer side of fermentation science and the wine side, um, or and also cider was included in that in the wine side um, of the fermentation science degree. So, at that point, it was very divided. Um, and it was mostly very heavily beverage based. Why do you think that is? Is it just that there's a there's more of a foundation and uh, would you say maybe business behind it uh, be, behind uh, behind wine more of a industry? I think I think some of it um, deals with um, the background of um, knowing what's happening in a wine fermentation and a brewing fermentation. Um, back in the 1800s, when they were doing all sorts of experiments, trying to figure out um, how something like grapes turned into this magical, tasty, delicious beverage. Um, and they didn't know that much about fermentation. So I think that it just it's, it's just a really naturally um, – acceptable media to do experiments in. I think also that it's just um, an avenue that a lot of people have just taken to know more about fermentation. Um, And some people don't really think much of different types of fermented products besides beverages. So I think that's where the focus has been. Kind of that uh, culinary focus of of, uh, perfecting and, and, and quality oriented, whereas I guess, I mean, it seems that now there, like, say, there's Colorado State that is having a specific fermentation science program that's not just based on beverages. It's based on um, sauerkrauts and and yogurts and other aspects of that. Is it just that people would traditionally, educationally-wise, would fall into those jobs post-school, and now maybe there's more focus on that? Or do you have much familiarity with any of the, the, the more current courses out in the nation that are offering specific things for food fermentation? Um, I think a lot of, a lot of it is what you just said. A lot of focus is just on food science. And once people graduate and leave um, college and go into the food industry, they find out a lot more about fermentation. Um, And it it is mentioned in school in food science courses. There's um, usually people take a food microbiology course, Um, but it's just a semester or a year long class, depending on where you go to school. Um, So not much, heavily dominated focuses on the fermentation side or the microbiology side, but I think people are naturally becoming more interested in it. Um, Just through media, there's a lot of emphasis through nutrition about probiotics. Um, So I think a lot more people are are becoming more aware of it and thinking that and understanding that it's um, something that is very important and a lot more emphasis and education is put on it than before. And did I did I catch that correctly? And uh, about even microbiology wasn't necessarily as much the focus in in fermentation um, science throughout. Like it it'd be part of the course, of course, but uh, w- 
was there as much emphasis on it as there is? I mean, it seems like now there's in, like you're saying, media, there's microbiology is just becoming something that's people are much more aware of. Is that also what you're saying is this kind of happened uh, in education? Um, I think that microbiology has always been important, but um, in food science, when you're doing your coursework, they mention it, talk about it, um, and there usually are some courses that you take. Um, and But I think it just depends on what specifically you're looking into. Um, in brewing science, uh, there is emphasis, a lot of emphasis on microbiology through yeast fermentation um, and uh, wine science, um, a lot of it's based off of chemistry. Um, yeast and fermentation is very obviously very important in making wine, um, but a lot of emphasis is put on chemistry, and it's more of like a chemical balance between the grape and um, the beginning of the process versus wine that's made at the end. So I think it really is dependent on the medium in which you're using the fermentation. Okay. So, well, and, and I'm assuming to a certain extent you learn about yeast and since most of the time for beer and wine, the same yeast are used and there's fewer wild fermentation processes going on that there's, it's, there's probably a lot less to, to account for. Like you're talking, just focusing on the chemistry. Is that, would you say that's fair to kind of put it that way or? Yeah. Um, a lot of emphasis is put more on the chemistry of, uh, brewing science and, um, wine science now. Um, Years ago, um, in the early in the early 1900s, um, there wasn't much known about yeast and how they fermented and consistencies and um, native fermentations versus controlled fermentation. So a lot of research was done on that side of the process. Um, but now that we know more about it and we have consistent results and um, domesticated yeast strains, um, and there's not so many wild fermentations. More emphasis and study is put on the chemistry behind it. So fermentation more acts more as a vector for research um, in that the fermentation itself is important because you need it to make wine and beer. Um, but how the yeast are interacting with um, different chemicals in the process itself is different from and, – and that's where most of the research is, ba is focused right now. Now, when it – goes from wine to uh, switching kind of gears to to food your background with with wine uh, and uh, beverage fermentation how does that translate for your understanding of food fermentation which sometimes does involve more wild ferments as opposed to the the one or two yeasts or otherwise used I mean do you find much uh, parallel or is it do you find your background helpful or is it pretty much kind of a new thing when you're doing do-it-yourself kind of fermented foods? Um, I think I definitely have an advantage over your normal home sauerkraut maker um, just because I do have a little more insight in what should be happening. Um, I, I just by just through my education, I probably have more guidance and thinking of, oh, well, that's probably what should be happening now. Um but I'm still kind of clueless and learning myself um, about all of these different fermented foods. Um, as I said earlier, most of my background has been in wine microbiology. Um, and it wasn't until recently that I started branching out and making bread with sourdough starters and sauerkraut and kimchi and all of these other really cool fermented products. Um, so I myself am always learning. 
there's always a learning curve. Definitely. That's what I find with, uh, and find so interesting about fermented foods is that there's always definitely more to learn and, and, and mistakes to be made and, and everything that goes along with it. And, and Mm -hmm. so, so do you have something you lean towards when it comes to food, uh, fermented foods, something you're most interested in? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I used to have a sourdough starter, but unfortunately it perished. Um, so, I mean, that itself has been a learning curve of making my, figuring out how to make my own native sourdough starter and feeding it and treating it like a baby and, you know, caressing it and growing it and then using it to make bread. Um, so that itself is a whole process that I'm still learning and doing research on all the time and talking to people and and so when you when you talk about uh, research for yourself in these kind of things, I mean, I, I like to geek out on this, but I don't have a microbiology background. Uh, so, I mean, I kind of just make up with it with reading more. But are you really uh, digging in, in deep or is it more just a curiosity in the production side of things or, or just the, the process of making it? Um, it's more an interest in the process of making all of this. I do read some sophisticated scholarly journals, um, through resources that I have, uh, just from being in graduate school. Um, and I do have a lot of scientific based books about it. Um, so I do, when I get really interested in something, I'll pull those out and read them and highlight them and tag them. But, um, for the most part, it's mostly just the internet and just, you know, talking to lots of different people. I think, um, that's kind of how a lot of people learn a lot of like making sourdough and, and sour, sauerkraut, um, is more of like an artisanal thing that you learn from your parents or your grandparents or your neighbor, um, and get information from them too. Thinking, thinking back to the, back to the wine and that like passing down of generational information or whatnot, did you find that that was more the case? overseas when doing an exchange program versus uh, working in winery stateside? I mean, is there is there more of that generational thing or is are a lot of winemakers focused on the science as well? Um, in France, it's a lot of a generational thing. A lot of things are passed down. Um, they, they do know a lot of the science behind it, but it's mostly um, this is what we've always been doing, so why change it? And I'm not quite sure why this is happening, but I know it works. Whereas here, there is a lot more emphasis um, on the education of it um, and learning more about it. Um, but when it comes to uh, harvest, which is coming up in the next week or few months and that sort of thing on, on the West Coast, um, even though people do want to know the research and the science behind it, they still have to make a product which is tasty and delicious. Um, so they just kind of follow suit and just do what they've always done. Okay. Well, where, where's the, where's the balance? I mean, what, what do you find that those vineyards that really focus on the science aspects on exploring new things that maybe are doing things beyond what has always been done? I mean, does that, does it make a noticeable difference? I mean, does it really help? Or is this really just something that can't, like fermented foods, that can just be passed down generation to generation? And uh, do you notice a, a difference in taste, in quality? Um, y- yes, I, I can taste a difference in quality. Vers- people who do have um, an education and think about what they're doing versus people who just do what they've always done. Um, 
I think that it the changes that do happen are very slow and maybe not obvious from year to year. But um, if they do make lots of small changes, eventually you, there is a sensorial difference between wine from, say, a harvest from 2000 versus maybe now. Um, so I think that there is people do take notice of it and do make small, small changes. Um, but I don't think the impact is is going to be from year to year as much as maybe people would think. So it's more of a, a long-term goals. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. Um, I think winemakers kind of get, um, stuck between a rock and a hard place just because they only have really one, uh, one harvest each year, or they only have one harvest each year. So they can't do a lot and explore and experiment a lot just because they need to use all of that to create a product. Um, so I think that they do do smaller changes and um, they also do smaller test batches. Whether that gets to market or not, I'm not quite sure. Um, or they blend it in with uh, other types of wine and stuff. But um, yeah, I don't think that it's a year-to-year thing. I think it's more of like a slow change in, in the process itself. Okay. And, and that makes me think too, are like, maybe they're doing some of those test batches, but are there any places or universities where they do kind of have a test vineyard of sorts where they can really measure a lot, have a lot more measurable results or, or if it can drastically change one aspect and see a difference or is it, is it really a production uh, experiment of sorts is that it really just does happen at the vineyard? No, I, a lot of universities um, that do offer an enology, which is wine science um, degree, or a viticulture degree, which deals more with um, the planting of the grapevines and maintaining the grapevines. Um, a lot of those universities do have an experimental vineyard and then um, professors and researchers who focus their time on different aspects of wine and winemaking. Um, Oregon State has their own vineyard. Um, UC Davis has their own vineyard as well. So does uh, Fresno. Fresno State has their own vineyard, I believe. Um, so most universities have their own research vineyard that they do their experiments on um, through the viticulture side. And then the professors... Um, will use those grapes to do different kinds of wine experiments um, via grad students or grants. And it just kind of is dependent on what uh, the professor has in mind for those grapes. So thinking about, uh, I guess, looking uh, more at your more uh, recent experience, you were recently at White Labs. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's White correct. Labs? Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, what is... Uh, White Labs, what do they do? White Labs is a company that makes um, yeast for breweries and wineries and distilleries um, to make beer, wine, and distilled products like rum and gin and tequila. Okay. And and is this industry level or is this uh, to the public or, or otherwise? I mean, who's who's the main target audience for this? Um, they, they mostly cater towards the, um, brewery industry. Um, but they, and they also make, um, what we would call vials of yeast, um, for home brewers and home winemakers. Um, and so uh, what would 
the white labs is a very small niche uh, market. Um, and they're one of only two or three liquid yeast companies. Um, liquid yeast meaning that it is a sl- active growing slurry versus um, like a dry yeast that you would maybe find at the grocery store. Okay. And so what, what did a, a, a general day look like for you as a fermentation scientist in a, in a place like this? I mean, were you actively developing new um, yeast products or, or was it, is it something else totally different? No, it was mostly we would collect um, yeast strains um, from all over the world. We had uh, White Labs has a bank of 100 plus different strains. Um, some of those are what we would call house strains, meaning that they're open to the public um, and to breweries and to home uh, brewers. Um, and then we also had what were called private strains, which were um, strains that were collected from a brewery. They would send it to us and say, hey, I really like this yeast strain. Um, it makes my Hefeweizen do this, and I like it because of these reasons. Um, please store it for me, and when I want it, I want you to grow this up for me. Um, so we would do specialty things like that for them, for breweries and wineries. What, what, does, what does storing of those things involve? I mean, is it very difficult to, to store yeasts for these, if they're, if they're having a service do it for them? I'm assuming there's a little bit more to the process. Uh, um, it's not. It's not hard. Um, it just requires some specialty equipment and um, ingredients. So, uh, whenever something would come in, say for a private strain, um, I would test it for purity to make sure that it is what they really thought it was, and consult with them um, with what exactly they wanted me to quote unquote freeze. Um, and I would grow, grow it a little bit. Um, and then I would store it in, um, a glycerol solution, um, and put it into what we, we have a negative or white labs has a negative 80 freezer. Um, and so the glycerol really just protects the cells itself and makes it, um, viable for years to come. And so does, do you, uh, do those kind of things happen with, uh, with, with on the food side of things as well? I mean, looking at specific strains, is, is it very similar for, say, yogurts, for the direct set yogurts that are available um, commercially? Are those being stored kind of the same similar ways, or is that totally different between beer and... and uh... There's a lot of different ways that you can store microorganisms. Um, freezing it in a negative 80 freezer is one such method. Um you can also store things um, in a freeze-dried method um, or – and so it just depends on um, I, what the company is doing and what their protocol is. So there's lots of different ways to store bacteria and yeast. Okay. So the freeze-drying is separate. Okay. That, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So on now that you're not at, at White Labs uh, – what are you doing locally? Uh, I guess maybe we didn't even mention uh, you're in San Diego, and uh, what do you what do you do locally as a as a freelance fermentation scientist at this point? Um, right now, I'm doing a lot of um, just helping out the community learn more about fermentation and microorganisms. Um, Harvest, as I mentioned earlier, um, is going to be starting in the Temecula Valley, which is about an hour north of San Diego. Um, so I'll be up there helping with Harvest, um, with a few wineries, and um, just doing some helping hands thing 
things, reaching out and doing a lot of community involved stuff. Um, where I live specifically in San Diego in North Park um, is very involved with um, urban farming, urban um, artisanal products. And um, there's a lot of breweries that are interested in uh, finding native yeast in the area. So I've been helping them um, kind of guide them to find some local native yeast to help make beer and wine. And it, uh- so so wild so wild fermentation then of of these beers, yeah, more or less um, a wild fermentation. So setting out wort and having them sit out set it out for a night, and then using that to maybe try to isolate um, if there is a wild yeast and uh, purify it in a way where it's just that single type of wild yeast, and then using that to make um, a specialty beer. So maybe um, a beer that has yeast from a very specific area in San Diego um, that's pretty popular nowadays is local isolates um, and crazy fermented beers. So then when you're, when you're capturing these yeasts then, um, is it, you know, when looking at, at, at wild fermentations of sorts like a, a wild fermented sourdough starter, there's a lot of different, yeasts and bacteria arguably in that starter. So mm-hmm. you're talking about collecting these, not as a starter, but collecting them so that you can then isolate them. Is that the difference? That's correct. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you could use that, uh, starter as is, so there might be 10 different types of yeast in it, one different type, but then you'll have maybe 10 different types of bacteria. It all depends on what you specifically are looking for. But, um, when it comes to, uh, specific fermentation, like say brewing a specialty beer, you may only want one type of yeast in there. It might This yeast might have very characteristic flavor components, such as it may produce lots of apple esters, um, and you really like that, versus um, maybe two yeast strains that are in your culture. One makes the apple, the really great apple ester, and the other one makes um, a stinky rotten egg one. So you don't, you know, you can separate the two of them out um, to just have the the apple one um, and purify that, isolate it, and then use that and you'll have hopefully an apple flavored beer. What's what's your uh, your take on this? Because it sounds like you do both the the very isolated uh, specific strains of in, in, in beer making and uh, and then there's the other side of the things you're doing with wild ferments or, or home fermented things that may not be as specific of strains. Um, it sounds like there are benefits to both. And um, where do you fit in, in the spectrum? Do you prefer one over the other? Do you, do you like the, the, the specific control available of isolating or the crazy sometimes unexpected results of wild ferments? I mean, where do you, where do you kind of fit in the spectrum or do you like both? You know, I personally like both of them. I think it just depends on what the product is that you're, or what your final product is. Um, personally, I don't really like sour beers, um, or Lambic style beers, which are the native fermentation beers. But when it comes to sourdough bread, the more bacteria, the, mer- the, the merrier, I think that 
the more sour it is, the better the bread tastes, but I don't like it in my beer. So I think it's it's just preference. Um, some people would argue that it's the opposite. They love lambic beers but hate sourdough. So I think it just depends on the person. <laughs> okay. Um, is Are there – since there is so much interest uh, in, in food and, and food fermentation, do you think that there – will be more move in a direction towards isolating things, say to make a, maybe, maybe a sourdough bread that has different flavors in it um, that you then can isolate out and take out anything that you don't want. I mean, do you think that there's a, an interest for that on a small do it yourself scale or is that more complicated than most sourdough bread makers would be interested in? I think that there's interest in it. I think um, there's a lot of people, um, as an example, home brewers, they like to experiment a lot and try to make new funky beers. Um, so there definitely is an interest in having a sourdough and then trying to isolate different types of characteristics that they like. But it's not something that's really going on right now as as far as you know, correct? Or is it? I think I think a lot of people do do it um, in their own free time at home. I just don't think maybe it's as common knowledge as um, what people think. Okay. So then, is uh, your experience with uh, with seeing uh, act, uh, actively participating in the San Diego community? Do you do you see changes uh, as well as I mean I I don't know exactly what it's like on the West coast versus the Midwest where I'm at, uh, you know, these things are, are growing in interest and in more people are interested in them. Uh, but it, it seems to grow every more and more every year. Is it still that way out? Would you say on the West coast or is pretty much everyone fermenting and everyone interested in this kind of stuff now? I think it's the same as in the Midwest. I think a lot of people, a lot of it's coming to light. Um, a lot of people are interested in it and there are more, um, microbreweries popping up, especially in San Diego, um, a lot more urban wineries, um, a lot more artisanal yogurt shops, um, all sorts of these different things. The same as in the Midwest. I think uh, there's just more um, education and um, research that's been brought to light in the past few years about fermentation. And Thinking of, of, of that research, I mean, do you have anything specific uh, or places that you recommend people go to or place like when you're out in the San Diego community that you you have them look at or, th- or books to read or different things like that? Yeah. Um, one book that I, I probably use all the time whenever I'm making sauerkraut versus sourdough, beer, wine, whatever it is. Um, I consistently go back to this book called Yeast. Um, It was written by Chris White, who, um, shameless plug, is the owner um, and president of White Labs. But it's a very well-written book. It's very easy to understand. You don't need to have any sort of scientific background to understand what he he's he's a very simplistic person. So it's easy to read. Um, So I really I really reference that book a lot. I guess from the winemaking side uh, or even just fermentation in general, I do consult another book called 
techniques in home winemaking. Um, it's it's written by um, a man named Daniel Pambianchi. Um, he's a winemaker over in the Finger Lakes um, in New York. Um, and I use it more as just a general outline about fermentation as well. He does. He also does a very good job of explaining fermentation, how it happens, and how to control it. Um, more on the side of yeast fermentation versus bacterial fermentation. But both books I recommend to people all the time. Awesome. I'm actually going to have to check those out because I wasn't familiar with uh, either of those. So new reads for me as well. So that I, and do you do you have any recommendations for people since? Most of Firm Up is about food fermentation. For people that are interested that maybe would like to get into home beer or wine making, um, I guess first, do you do any home beer or wine making yourself? Yeah. Um, it, for me personally, it's a lot easier to brew beer at home than to make wine just because it's easier to find the malt and the... Um, the hops more so than getting good quality grape juice. Um, even in California, I, you have to um, be thinking ahead and planning ahead. Whereas brewing, I can wake up and say, hey, I just kind of want to brew some beer today. Um, so I, I end up brewing beer probably four or five times a year. Um, it's something that I really like doing. Um, and that itself is a learning curve. I started out in the wine side of all of this, um, in the fermentation field. Um, so I mean, I reference the yeast book all the time to learn more about how to brew beer. And I just think it's really interesting. Do you find that there is a lot of similarity or is it, or is it drastically different to brew either beverage? Um, it's, it's funny because, uh, when I started working at white labs, I was hired on to do a lot of their wine, um, wine research and wine, uh, specific products. Um, and it's amazing how different the two fields are. Uh, the language is different, which it, it was very hard for me to catch on different vocabulary words that are used in the winemaking side versus the brewing side. Um, but after doing some research and figuring, just kind of looking into the vocabulary itself, it's a very similar process, um, just different ways of doing them. Okay. And, and what's your, your favorite beer to, I guess, make at home? I mean, do you have a favorite at home or a favorite to drink? Is there a difference? Um, yeah, there is a difference. I, I'm, I really like IPAs, um, and ale type beers. Um, like I made a honey ale a few years ago, which I thought was pretty good. Um, but I might be a little biased about it. Uh, but you know, there's some beers that I don't have the knowledge or I feel like I'm not set in making them yet. Like lagers. I don't think I have the right setup to brew a lager beer versus an ale beer just through differences in fermentation characteristics. So does it take a lot of uh, equipment then? I've looked into it somewhat and it seems, so it seems like depending on what a person wants to, to make, there's different equipment that they're going to need. Right. Um, I mean, what I have set up here is very elementary. It's just honestly like a pot um, and a five gallon glass fermenter um, or carboy. Um, but to brew an ale beer versus a lager beer, um, it needs to be a lot cooler to brew a lager beer than an ale beer. So that's what is the challenge for me in San Diego. Um, I don't have any sort of cooling regulator um, at 
in the summer, especially right now, it's pretty hot during the day, but it cools off significantly at night. So that, I mean, that would be my problem is I need more of like a temperature regulator, some sort of like jacketed carboy to make a lager beer. Okay. So it it doesn't necessarily take a, it just takes a little bit more planning for certain beers, not necessarily a, a whole lot of fancy equipment. Right. Yeah. You can, you don't have to have, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um, you don't have to have fancy equipment to brew beer. Um, I definitely don't, uh, but it definitely does take some more timing and planning and thinking ahead. Well, are there, what's, what's next for, for you since you're not at white labs anymore, what are you going to do as a freelance fermentation scientist? Do you have any plans? To be honest, I, I really don't. I'm just going to see where this takes me. Um, I've had a lot of dumb luck in the past 10 or so years. Um, I just happened to fall into food science and happened to spend a summer in France working on a vineyard that led to uh, the, an internship at a winery, which led to just by chance graduate school that led me here to San Diego. So we'll see where I, I end up. Awesome. And, and you, for, I guess for someone that is more specifically interested in food science or fermentation science, be it on the food or beverage side of things, I mean, it sounds like there's many different ways and uh, directions that a person can go. Are there specific things that you would recommend to someone that may be interested in a food science degree? Uh, what direction to go? Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in a food science degree, I think that first off, you should probably look into um, any of this um, land grant universities, um, meaning every state has a land grant university. Um, Oregon State is Oregon's land grant university. I believe UC Davis is California's uh, land grant. Um, And you can Google it and do a lot of research that way. Um, it's food science, food scientists in specific are very far and few. So it might be hard to find a food scientist um, in your area, depending on where you are. But I, I think just Googling food science and is the way to go. And then just one other thing in regard to a, a degree. It seems that there's kind of two paths that if someone really wants to dig down and do the, the, the science side of things, the food science degree, uh, is that something that you feel someone would benefit from if they're just like, say they want to do an artisanal fermented food, anything or fermented beverage, any kind of business or whatnot. I mean, do, do you think a food science degree really helps anyone in that regard? Or is it really for the people that want to, you know, work in some form of industry of sorts? I think a food science degree or a fermentation science degree is extremely beneficial for anyone that wants to do any sort of artisanal work. Um, I think that there's enough science now um, to fully understand what's happening. Um, say you're doing artisanal cheeses. Um by having a food science degree and a fermentation science degree, you can troubleshoot what's happening. Um, you'll just be a little, you'll just have one step above someone who doesn't have that degree. I think that it's beneficial to anyone. I don't think you can ever lose from more education. Definitely. I agree on that one. So excellent. Well, do you have anywhere that, uh, that you would like to direct people? Um, are you on, Twitter or otherwise, 
I didn't ask you that beforehand. So if you don't, that's okay. I I'm not on Twitter or, um, I'm on Facebook so people can Facebook me. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully, I mean, we'll see where this takes me. I, you can probably find me on Twitter maybe in the next few days. Awesome. And so with, uh, San Diego, anyone, if they're by chance listening there, then, uh, is there anything you'll be doing in the community upcoming or anything that you know that's going to be coming up soon that people might be interested in? Um, no, there's nothing on my slate right now except for helping um, with uh, the 2013 harvest up in Temecula. Um, pretty soon, I know that the Temecula Winery Association will be having a really big festival um, with what, lots of great wineries and wine samplings and harvest um, fun and helping out. So I would recommend people to check out the Temecula Valley Winery Association website. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, you can find all of the information uh, that we went over today in the show notes. You can find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 31. And uh, as usual, you can, we do have a Twitter account. You can find us at uh, firmup or on Facebook at firmup or anywhere else at firmup. And until next time, firm up.